I'm used to being ignored. I said, oh no, we've got both, that's wonderful. Um, just quickly before we move into our, our series this morning, we've been having quite a few new people join uh, the South, and we're, 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 we're grateful that you are here, and, uh, and if this is your first time, or maybe you've been coming for the last month or so, and you've not yet filled out a Connect card, then please do so. The, the reason we, we ask this is so that we can let you know of some of the things that are happening in our church community. And one of the regular things that I get uh, is, oh, I didn't know that was happening, or oh, I didn't realize that was happening, or oh, it would have been good to have known that. Yes. Fill this out and you too will be fully informed. And you get a journal, a Galatians journal, which is super, yes, thank you. A Galatians journal, which is wonderful, and you get that if you fill this out. So those of you who've been around for a bit, then please fill out that Connect card. Um, And uh, I know a couple of you have been already accosted, probably by my wife or Nicole. Please fill this out so we can keep in connection with you and uh, we just want to bless you with that. I'm going to talk this morning about uh, a a secret, if you will, probably one of the best kept secrets, I think, something that isn't often talked about in our Christian life. And uh, for those of you who are still thinking through Christianity and you're here kind of a little bit squinty eyed going, okay, I'm just trying to figure this out. I'm not sure about this Christianity or you've always considered yourself a Christian but it's more by, you know, let's be honest, more by the fact that you were born in this country or maybe your mom or dad was a Christian or that you just consider yourself a Christian uh, because of your heritage. Um, this, is, this is an aspect of Christian life and Christian living that isn't talked about much. And in the light of the truth of it and the enormity of it, and it really is a very difficult thing for me to describe well um, as a pastor, as a preacher, as just as a human being, it's... it's deeply, deeply mysterious. I'm going to do my very best to try and present it to you well and then ask the Lord to take what you hear and cement it into your hearts and your spirits. But this, this key, this truth, this secret, if you will, really turns the corner on, on what we feel sometimes a disjoint in life. I've talked a lot about how as humans, not just as Christians, but as humans, we sense that there's something more. We sense that there's something bigger, better, more ultimate than what we can touch, taste, see, and feel. And, and, and it's like we've been wired, as it says in Ecclesiastes 3, for the divine, for something eternal, something beautiful and amazing that we just can't seem to grasp hold of using common means in our culture. But there's a disjoint because as Christians, we believe strongly that that is found in Jesus. And and absolutely, that is totally, we are a Jesus-centered church, unapologetically all about Jesus. And we know Jesus said that if you are a Christian, if you are a Jesus follower, then life is meant to be lived to the full, John 10.10. 10. You get life and life to the full, that there, are, there is like water bubbling out of your life continually. But the reality is there are times when we feel like that, that streams of living water just feels a little bit like a drip or a dribble. That we, our lives are filled with should-dos and then guilt because we don't. We know that we should go to church on a regular basis and enjoy it. But sometimes we just don't and don't. <laughs> we know we should read our Bibles. We know that it's the Word of God. We've heard the sermons. We know that it's really central and powerful and life-chasing. 
But for some reason, when we open the Bible, it just feels lifeless and a chore. We know we should pray. We know that prayer is one of the ultimate, if not the ultimate thing that we are called to as a church. This house is called, by Jesus, a house of prayer. And yet when we come to pray and we have prayer meetings and and we call corporate prayer or even personal prayer, we know we should pray, but it's just difficult because it feels like time really slows down. And then we start feeling guilty and, well, I'm not a good Christian. I should do this better. And if only I was this way. And, you know, and, and, and we know we should be generous, but we're not because we're concerned about what that might mean if we actually gave in the way the New Testament teaches us to give, which is generously, cheerfully, regularly, to the point where it pinches. If we were to actually do that, well, what about my... What about my expenses? What about this? What about that? And so we don't. And then we feel guilty for not doing those things. These are all things we've been called to be and do as a Christian. But we get caught in the gap of, well, I just don't want to. And you go into a Christian bookstore. Personally, I avoid them. But that's a whole other sermon. You go into a Christian bookstore. You are inundated with, well, this is what you need to do. You want to read your Bible more? You read this book. If you want to pray better, then these are the seven keys to successful prayer life in the 21st century in Kelowna. Forward by. Read that. It'll change your life. Or somebody skips into your life with, I've read this book. It's changed my life. You need to read it too. And you read the first part and you go, so now you're giving me more stuff to do and feel guilty about. Or is that just me? You know, like do, 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 do. I don't want to do sometimes. Oh, well, in that case, you need to do this so you can do that. Well, now you're giving me something else to feel, feel guilty about and shame-filled when I don't do, Mr. Super Christian. So that's what it feels like sometimes. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being real with you. If you want a perfect pastor, run church. <laughs> really. This is a struggle. What I'm going to share with you this morning, I believe is one of the most important aspects of Christian living that for some reason we don't talk about much. The early church talked about it all the time. The early church fathers talked about it all the time. It was something that was so central to their Christian living. And then we, we somehow we just don't talk. So when I show you the actual words in a second, you're going to go, I've heard of that, but I'm not really sure what it means. Okay? So here's the secret. Here's, here's how we fill that gap. Here's how we move from feeling guilty about not doing stuff to actually wanting to do that stuff. Not because we have to in order to make Jesus love us more, but this is, this is great. I want to go to church. I want to read my Bible. I want to pray. I want to give generously. I want to serve my community. I want to be involved. This is the how. This is the how. Union with Christ. Those three words, union with Christ. This is not a cute strap line that Glenn has put together. This is a truth, doctrinal truth, in our church heritage that actually, as I come in the next few minutes to try and explain what that means, it's, it, it's overwhelming to try. It, it's like, it, it just feels impossible. So let's pray together. Let's pray right now. Let's just take a moment and pray that God, by His Spirit, 
will reveal to us what this truth means. Because I am sincere when I say this. I genuinely want you to leave here this morning. My prayer is that you'll leave here this morning not only having a revelation and, and having a realization of what being a real Christian actually is and what belief in Jesus actually is, but you will leave this place feeling lighter, more equipped, more powerful, filled with promise, filled with power. Because I need that tomorrow morning. I, gosh, I need that in 25, 30 minutes. I need that now. That's my prayer. So let's pray together. And uh, if you have a loved one next to you, grab their hand. If you haven't, then grab their hand anyway. And welcome to us. No, I'm joking. Don't do that. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before this truth, it's, to, it's just such an, a deep, powerful, promise-filled truth, Lord. I am humbled by even the thought of trying to communicate this let alone communicate it well. So Lord, I pray that you would do only that which you can do, which is draw us to yourself, Jesus, that you would speak to us in our hearts, in our spirits, in our minds in the next few minutes. And that Lord, I pray that every one of us would leave this place filled with promise and power that is found in the truth of being in union with you, Jesus. That's our prayer. We ask these things in your name. We love you. Anyone said? Amen. Amen. So what does this mean? Union with Christ. I've given a very uh, simple statement, but basically that's exactly what it means. It means that you as a Christian, and I want to be clear, only as a Christian, you live in Jesus and Jesus lives in you. That you live in Jesus and Jesus lives in you. That in itself is a prayer. You can write that down. And you're going to be able to... This is not some sort of mantra, but even meditating on the truth of this. Better still is learn this scripture that I'm going to present to you this morning, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. So what does union with Christ actually mean? What does union with Jesus Christ mean? How is it that it is such an important truth that we don't talk about much? How is it that it will fill the gap between what we know we should do and what we don't want to do? How does that work? That's what we're going to look at over the next few minutes. So let's look at the key scripture. This, I've been asking you over the last few weeks to learn this. Learn this scripture. It's a powerful, powerful scripture. I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul speaking. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow, there's a lot there. But it really is just unpacking one central truth. That I live in Jesus and Jesus lives in me. What's interesting, all through the New Testament and Paul's teaching, Paul, uh, for the, I haven't got time now to be able to go through all of where we've come. This is part eight of our Galatians series. Please go online and listen to it. But Paul has been contending for the gospel. He's been saying, look, this is the gospel. This is not the gospel. You can't take Jesus and add things to Jesus. Jesus is enough. And here's why. And he's contending continually for the power of the one called Jesus living in our lives. Christianity is not about what you do. It is not about who you are or how good you are. I unpacked that last week. You can be the most righteous, generous, cheerful, good person on this planet, and it is still not enough for you to get close with God. Now, for some of you, that might be a shock. 
But that is what the Bible says. So the same Bible that describes to us a good, loving God also tells us how we have a relationship with him. And it is through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ. And Paul, in the New Testament, when he talks about you and me, if you are a Jesus follower, he doesn't call us Christians. The word Christians actually comes up first in Acts chapter 11 in Antioch and actually says, and they were called Christians. But Paul never refers to us as Christians in his writing. That's two-thirds of the New Testament. What he does is he frames us in the words, in Christ. In Christ. That's how he frames us as Christians, that we are in Christ. It's who we are now. So please listen to this statement because it's not going to come up on the scriptures. This came to me this morning uh, on the screen. As a Christian, as somebody who's a Jesus follower, as somebody who confesses that Jesus is Lord of my life, Jesus is not part of my life. He is my life. There's a big difference. Jesus is not part of my life. He is my life. Jesus is not somebody who I add to the rest of my activity. He is my activity. And the curse of nominal Christianity is the thing that brings the most uh, uh, attack to Christianity. This idea that Jesus is just part of what I do. And, uh, you know, he's, he's there. Oh, faith is very important to me. Faith cannot be very important to you. Faith is everything to you if you're a Christian. Paul also says in Colossians 3 and verse 3, again, a, a scripture well worth... Colossians 3, 1 to 3 is a wonderful passage to learn as well. For you have died. That's you and me, Christian friends. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Union with Christ. That we are hidden with Christ in God. So this, this idea that somehow we add Jesus to our life is not biblical. What the Bible speaks to is that Jesus becomes our life. He is our life. That our old life has died, our new life has begun. Which is why we talk about conversion. That there's an old you and a new you. Now, for those of you who've become Christians uh, for a long, long time, you may remember a moment when you were not a Christian and you became a Christian. Maybe it was in a meeting where you put your hand up at the end and you came forward, you got prayer, and you left like, wow, my life is different. And the trajectory of your life changed forever in eternity. Wonderful. There's some of you who grew up in a Christian family, and your conversion just seems to be this gradual growing into Jesus. One is not better than the other. Both are conversion experiences. But either way, there is an old you and there's a new you. The old you has died. The new you is now alive. It's not just something that has been added. Let me put it this way. When I was, uh, when I was about eight or nine, uh, I went on a holiday with my, my mum and dad. And they, uh, I don't know if my mum and dad are here this morning or not, but I don't know if they were, yes. We used to go tenting. And... Uh, and so we, we set up the tent and it was in a, a kind of a, a campground in, in Britain. And uh, the first thing I remember whenever we went tenting was I wanted to find somebody like me that I could play with. I think it was probably the first thing my mum and dad wanted me to do as well. Just go. Because, you know, an eight or nine year old kid in a tent is, is never fun. Just go. Just make sure you come back before the end of the week. Just, just go. And so, because uh, that's what it used to be like when you're in the 70s, right? You, you just kind of... You just, you didn't have to think about everything we have to think about now. 
So I used to, I remember distinctly this particular holiday because I decided that I was going to do something different. I was never very impressed by my name, Glenn. I didn't like my name. Uh, uh, and I just, it just wasn't Glenn. I just didn't like it. Uh, you know, it is what it is. But at the time, I wasn't impressed with it. I wanted a cool name. So I decided I would call myself a cool name. Okay? For this. So I used to, I'd be introducing my friends. And so you're going to laugh because we've got a few of these in the congregation. Uh, I introduced, hi, what's your name? I said, hi. My name's Pete. Cool name, Pete. Call me Pete. I loved it. It was great. I just introduced myself to Pete to everybody who would listen. Pete. Uh, how many Pete's have we got in the room right now? There's one, DS. I know we have a few in the church. And so I was just so cool. And so it's Pete this and Pete that. And every time they said my name, I felt good about myself. Until this grand plan of mine all came apart. Because I used to love climbing trees. And if I could, I still would. I don't know if I'd be able to get down. I probably wouldn't even be able to get halfway up. But then I was good at climbing trees. And so I climbed this particular tree and promptly fell out of it. Because that comes part of the package when you climb a tree. And uh, so I'm laid on the ground, eight-year-old Glenn slash Pete, crying out for who? My mum. I want my mum. Because that's what you do. Because your mums come scuttling out in their slippers. And they hit whatever it was that, that hurt you. Naughty tree. You know, I wanted that tree told off. And I wanted some attention. So my friends, my new friends ran back. They knew the tent I came from. They knock on the flap, whatever. Mum comes out. Pete's hurt themselves. You need to come. Your son, Pete. Pete's hurt themselves. Mum's like, it's not my son. So I remember my dad who coming to help me, which is fine. Sorry, dad. It's good. Second best. Mum, primary. Dad, decent second best. While my mum goes around looking for the parents of Pete. Can I just tell you, after I recovered, it wasn't the tree that I was concerned about. Um, it, the whole plan ended really badly. I got a, a telling off. Probably they laughed about it. But at the same time, I just have the vision of my mum going around looking. Pete, no, no, no. You see, I was still Glenn, but I had a different name. And that name had no power in my life at all, apart from it made me feel good about myself. Christian friends, that's how we treat Christianity sometimes. It's like the old you, but now I have a new name called Christian, and it makes me feel good about myself. That's the danger. That's nominal Christianity. Where it actually has no power in our lives because the reality is, is when you become a Christian, your name doesn't just change. You get a new you. It's totally, radically, never been seen before. New creation. The old has gone. The new has come. The shame, the guilt, the stuff that you carried for all those years is wiped out, forgiven. It is new. It's not a new, improved version of you. It is a new you. So this is where it gets difficult. How is that mystery possible? How is it that the divine Jesus Christ lives in me and I live in him? So Bible scholars explain it this way. And I think this is a good way of thinking about it. It's like, and this is is how they they talk about a, a corporate personality. It's that Jesus represents us. Think of it like this. I'm a big Manchester United fan. 
It's not great right now, but you know, that's who I am. That's, that's what I believe. I love from being a very small eight-year-old Pete to, to being now passionate about Manchester United. So this is what happens. When you go and watch them, and have had the joy of doing that, is that you are one. You are Manchester United. You feel that. And when they play, and I use this right now, play, when they play and hopefully win, whatever that looks like, it feels like their victory becomes our victory. Who won? We won. Who won? Well, they actually won. No, no, no. They represent me. I am Manchester United. I am United. Think about David. David represents the whole of Israel, goes and fights Goliath. What is he doing when David wins or David loses? Israel win, Israel lose. So when David does win, Israel rises up in David's victory. Now they are victorious and they chase down the rest of the Philistines. See, David represents, it's called corporate personality. So this is what this means. When Jesus Christ lived, when Jesus Christ died, when Jesus Christ rose again, that is your life, that is your death, that is your new life again. He represents you. He is you. Oh, so Glenn, are you saying that I'm God? No, no. In the same way that I am not actually Manchester United, but their victory becomes my victory because of what's happened inside of me because I've become Manchester United over time. Another good way of looking at it, and this is very pertinent now, and thank you to my South African friends in the church. We have many uh, for being very gentle last week when South Africa beat England in rugby. One of the things you do in rugby, and I used to coach a lot of rugby, is that you would attach, the forwards would attach uh, one another and they would ruck, they would hit, they would generally try and get past the biggest guy and hide behind him and use him or her as a battering ram. It's great, especially if you're a smaller guy or a smaller girl. But it's like you are hidden behind their victory. That's what union with Christ is like. So that when you submit your life to Jesus and when you say, I want you to be Lord of my life and that you are my Savior, I recognize that you died on the cross for me. What happens is his victory, listen to this word, his victory is imputed onto your life. David's victory was imputed onto Israel. Manchester United's victory is imputed onto the fans. There's this impartation, this covering, this hiding with Christ in God. That's who you are, Christian friend. It is who you are not if you are not a Jesus follower. It's who you are. The whole story of the Bible is that God created us. We, by our own decision, turned away from Him and sinned. We were separated from Him for all of eternity, nothing that we can do, say, give, is ever going to close that gap. For the whole of eternity, forever and ever, you will be separated from him. But God, in his wisdom and mercy and grace and love, sent his perfect son to save us from that. And him dying on the cross, him living this perfect life that we can't live, that is required of him so he could be a perfect sacrifice and take the penalty of the sin that you and I have committed and it die with him, that death is imputed onto my life. I died when Jesus Christ died. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. 
and his new life that rose from the third day, on the third day, is imputed into my life. So last week I talked about righteousness. I am righteous and I'm justified to be in his presence. That is who I am. That is not a name change, old Glenn. Christianity added on. You, Christian, are Christian. You are Jesus in you and you in Jesus. The promise of all that I have just described, you being in Jesus, is yours. That's who you are. It's not an activity you add onto life. You start reading the Bible through that lens. You start reading and seeing who Jesus Christ is. This whole book is the story of Jesus Christ. You start reading it through that lens, then you start seeing who it is that lives in you. You start praying in that, with that filter. You start coming to church when, you, when, she, when Sarah says, okay, let's praise. 10,000 reasons. Are you kidding me? 10,000 reasons is the first day of eternity. I have so much reason because of who it is that lives in me, Christian friend. It's the story of the Bible. His life, victory, and position is imputed onto us and into us. It means that you are crucified with Christ Galatians 2.20, you are buried with him. Your old life, that which keeps holding you back. Christian friend, those of you who feel like you're being held back by things that have happened in the past, whether you're a Christian or not, it died with him on the cross. Paul said, consider yourself dead to sin. This is the new you. That's why when we get baptized, and this is why as a pastor, I encourage you to be baptized. You, the, the, the baptism is you going under the water. It signifies you dying with Christ And then, hopefully, pastor pulls you back up. Newness of life, imputed life. Raised with Christ, Colossians 3, verse 1. Seated with him in the heavenly places for all of eternity. That's living in you. Through the Holy Spirit, this is who I am. So let's just pause for a second. This is such a fundamental truth. Friends, those of you who have given your life to Jesus right now, sat in you. Not sat in you. Being in you. Living in you is Jesus Christ. Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, which is why he said, Jesus himself said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That is not an activity. That is not a hobby. That's, a, that's not a, can we squeeze church, biblical community, Bible reading, prayer into our lives? Like, you know, oh, we haven't been for a few weeks, we should go. That, that's not what this is describing. This is living water living in you. That's who you are. So what is the result of believing this? What is the result of believing that I'm in union with Jesus? Jesus, God, living in you. The one who was there when he spoke light and life into being, living in you. Living in you. Not just some distant deity that we're hoping one day will accept us in if we do good enough stuff. Living in you. And for those of you who don't live the reality of this, this is what is available and a gift to you. It's the gift of righteousness. 
It's something that we can come to him and ask for forgiveness and recognize his lordship. And that too, this too can be yours. Union with Jesus. The same Jesus who overcame every temptation. The same Jesus that showed overwhelming compassion. The same Jesus that shattered barriers, racial, sexual, uh, uh, every barrier in his society broke it down. He was not, not somebody who could be trifled with, if you like. He had a strength and humility combined. This same Jesus that affected and changed lives, that he faced death and threats and persecution and assaults and temptation and loneliness and every aspect of your life. It says that he is not an unsympathetic uh, high priest. He knows what it's like because he faced it. That same Jesus who not only faced it but came through it victorious. He was able to stand in front of Pilate when Pilate was about to crucify him. And Pilate asks the question, what is the truth? And the truth is stood right in front of him. Jesus. Pilate's looking past him. Maybe there's some other truth, and maybe, maybe you do that. Maybe you're looking past Jesus going, well, maybe there's another way that I can get this that I know is resident inside me, this eternity. Maybe I can fulfill it somehow in another way that somebody else hasn't come up with. No, no, the truth is stood right in front of Pilate. The truth, Jesus Christ, was stood resolute, powerful, quiet in front of him because he knew that he had to go to the cross. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. For the joy, the joy is you and me, my friend. The joy of being in union with us. It has to affect our life. It changes everything, this truth. It changes the way that I speak. It changes the way that I live. It changes the way that I react to people when they cut me up in traffic. You know who you are. It changes the music you listen to. It changes the TV that you watch. It changes the way that we parent. It changes the way that we, uh, we discipline our kids. It changes the way that we love our wives and love our husbands or we seek relationship and friendship. It changes everything, the way that we interact with people, what we spend our time on. It changes everything. This is not an activity we add to all that. It is that. In everything and through everything and for everything, we can point to Jesus and say, it's because of him, because he lives in me. It's who I am. What a promise. What a promise. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So I saw a cute kind of illustration for this. And as with all analogies and illustrations, this one. (laughs) How do you describe Jesus living in me while I'm living in Jesus, who is in God. How do you describe that? So, okay, containers. <laughs> and uh, you should have seen Sarah and I running around Canadian Tire trying to figure this out. Because it was questions like, I, I need a God. I need a Jesus container. I need a, I need a container that represents me. So this is, this is what it looks like. Okay, so this container, all right, is, is, is me. That's me. Or you. Pete, yes. Thank you. Is that Jared? Or Ollie? Oh, yeah, it had to be Ollie. Did a good job there, Boyd. You're representative on the front row there. Pete, me, you, all of us. That's, that's my life, okay? And in my life, 
I have Jesus. Now, okay, this is where all analogies start breaking down because you're like, I Jesus smaller. But Jesus in me. Okay? So I've got lids. I need a helper. Uh, Ollie. Okay. Ollie, you can be lid boy. Okay, what do I need to do here? You've got to try and figure out which lid fits on which box. If you need help, your dad's over there. Okay. So, thank you. This is, according to this scripture, I am hidden in Jesus. So, Jesus in me, me in Jesus. I'll have a lid, please, thank you. I'll have a lid for ten, please. And then, according to this scripture, I've got God. Thank you, Ollie. Good man. I'm trying to think theologically what Ollie was there, but I can't think how to build him into the analogy. So, Jesus in me, me in Jesus, Jesus in God. That is what Paul is describing. I'm fairly sure he had Canadian tire containers in mind when he wrote that. So, this is the truth of what my life looks like, what your life looks like if you're a Christian. Not, a Christian, not somebody who's just trying to be good so that God will let you in, because... We've already dealt with that. That's not what the scripture says. That's not going to happen. So somebody who has submitted their life to Jesus, whose old life has been imputed onto his, it has died with him, sin and shame is dead, that now I have Jesus living in me, right in there somewhere. But then the scripture says that I'm also in Jesus and Jesus is in God. So what effect does this have in my life? What effect does this have in my life? What does this mean for the day-to-day? That when Satan comes knocking, when the troubles, the struggles, the temptations, the loneliness, the doubt, the pain, the suffering come knocking, look at what it's got to get through. Look at what Satan has to get through in order to get to me. First of all, he's not got a good track record with God the Father. He's already kicked him out of heaven once. He's got no track record at all of victory over God the Father. So he's got to get through God the Father, according to that scripture. I'm not making this up. My life, in Christ, hidden in God. If somehow, it's not going to happen, he manages to get through God, then he's got to face Jesus. And Jesus already proved his victory over Satan on the cross. He thought he'd won for a bit, Satan. But actually, reality was that after two and a bit days... That was all the victory he had. And then Jesus beat Satan. If some miracle, he gets through God the Father and God Jesus, now he gets to me. But who's living in me? Jesus. So you can see that when we as Christians and when pastors stand up here and go, friends, you need to understand who it is that lives in you. He who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. It's because of the power, the victory, the might that has been imputed on you and your position in Jesus. Which is why I believe Paul gave us this prayer. To the Ephesus church, the church in Ephesus, he is... This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. He has a phenomenal ministry. And yet he gets on his knees because he says, Lord, there's nothing else I can do for these people. And so he prays. They're they're called the pastoral prayers. They're beautiful. Google it. Highlight them. Learn them. They're wonderful. His prayer is that us, 
or the church in Ephesus, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. So when you go into work tomorrow morning and you go into that family situation this week, if you go into just your, go into your own mind this week, because I talked about that last week, we're terrible bosses, we speak to ourselves badly. When you get to that place, you need to remember who you are in Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is in God, because that's who you are, Christian friend. So you literally can kick the devil into touch. By the words of your mouth, you speak it out. You pray it. You learn these scriptures, which is why I encourage you to do that. That you might know. That you might know. You know, in life, you might feel abandoned. But in Christ, you are loved. Christian friend, you may feel condemned. But in Christ, you are spotless and above reproach. You may feel down on your luck, but... In Christ, you are blessed in the heavenly places, according to Ephesians, with every spiritual blessing. You may feel neglected and lonely. Maybe you are single and ashamed because you're single. What kind of culture have we created in the church where somehow we look down upon people who are single? Oh, you married? Oh, no, no. Well, maybe one day. That's not what the Scripture teaches. That's not what the scripture teaches. It is something that we, even in our times where we feel in the gap between stages of life, that we can be secure in the knowledge that God has a plan, that we have a plan that he can use us today. You might feel defeated by temptation, but in Christ, you have that sin being beaten on the cross, living in you. You may feel lifeless, but in Christ, you have resurrection life coursing through your veins. You may feel like you aren't making any difference in life. But in Christ, you are sat in the heavenly places. Can you see, I'm just scratching at the surface of what this actually means for us as a beloved child of God. Are you a beloved child of God? How do I live my life in the light of being in union with Christ? You know, there's a lovely scripture my, my friend Dave often quotes about how we ask for revelation, the gift of revelation and the knowledge of him, that we ask for this revelation. And that's all I can do is encourage you to go and think and, and pray and research. There is a wonderful book. I should have said this. I put my Bible on it. This is a fantastic book called Union with Christ. So it has something to do with what I'm saying this morning. And I highly recommend that you read this book. Um, It does a wonderful job of breaking this whole subject apart. It's very practical. It's a beautiful book. Um, And uh, who's here for the first time today? Have a book. There you go. Woohoo, you won the prize. It's what we're all about at the South, just giving stuff away. But we need to soak ourselves in the truth of this. So how do I live it out? You see, Paul says, and the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So if we know this to be true, or at least, Glenn, I believe you, how do I appropriate this into my life? 
Dallas Willard said something really interesting in one of his books. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Because the danger is, is we could just sit back and go, okay, God, give it to me. I need this revelation. Let's do it. And just sit and wait. Whereas actually, this truth causes me to want to press into it. And there's some laboring involved. It's an active Life, which is why in the same scripture in Colossians 3, where it talks about being hidden with Christ, Paul says, set your mind on the things that are above. We have things to do. We can position ourselves well in this. We can set our lives around this truth so that we appropriate the truth that the revelation just grows more and more in our lives. John Calvin put it this way, let us therefore labor more to feel Christ living in us. So it's a both and and. So how do we do this? Let me paint a picture for you in how this works. Oh, British beaches, eh? Isn't that lovely? I don't know which British beach this is, but it doesn't matter because they're all pretty much like that. They're the kind of the beach when you used to go and your family like said camping trips. You would go with several layers on. And uh, a windbreaker, which is a thing that you stake in the ground. Or you find one of these things to kind of press yourself up against so that you're out of the wind. It's a beautiful day. It's great. Go to the Imperial War Museum. Don't go, to, don't go there. Um, actually, the thing with Britain is that it is an island, and so it does get battered by waves all the time. And something, I used to be a grade 6 uh, teacher and something I used to love teaching. I taught right, uh, the school was right on the coast and the, sometimes the waves were enormous, battering the North Wales coast, just battering it. And uh, you would find these things on, uh, this, is, this would be very typical to a, a Welsh beach. And so the current is really strong and it's coming into this beach. And what we used to teach was something called longshore drift. And what longshore drift was, is because of the angle of the waves and the, and the ferocity of the waves, is it would literally take sand from here and it would erode the beach away. It, the beach would just disappear, it erode. And so we would build these things into the sea called, not Linden. Oh, Laura's also British. Pick me. They're called groins, G-R-O-Y-N-E-S. And what happens is, is the current comes up against the groins and the sand won't get past it. It stays stable. The erosion doesn't happen. And so other than giving you a picture of of how beautiful the beaches are, it's actually a wonderful picture of the Christian life because life, we get battered. We get battered. There just seems to be this constant current of opposition against us. Right? And often it comes at angles that we don't expect. It doesn't often come head on. It comes around and back and in ways that we don't really quite understand. And if we're not careful, we start to drift. We drift away from the table. Remember a couple of weeks ago? We drift away from what we know to be true. We drift because we don't feel the life pulsating that I have been trying to describe in my containers. We don't feel that life and we start to drift and that drift given time will eventually erode your faith. Now then, just in case you misunderstand me, my personal theology is once saved, always saved. Because I don't find in the scripture anywhere where you actually can get unregenerated. Now I do believe you can backslide a long, long way or you were never a Christian in the first place. 
I'm okay with either one of those. But personally, my personal bent is once saved, that's it. Because of the unregeneration I can't find in the Scriptures. However, life can have erosion spiritually. You can distance yourself away. You can be in a place that is in a very, very dark place. So what do we set up in our lives to stop this erosion? Well, maybe if we could get more possessions. Maybe if we can get more people. Maybe if we can get more power. Maybe we can get more popularity and influence. Maybe if my kids could be a bit more successful. Maybe that erosion will end. If I could just bring things into my life that will stop this erosion, this drifting. Maybe, maybe if I just focus on my business. Maybe if I focus on this, that this will set up, set up some stability that will stop the erosion. And all the time we find that it is not strong enough, powerful enough. It's just not enough. Because those things let us down. What are these things in our Christian lives? What are the groins? What are the, what are the, uh, the, the stability things that, that just, the, the, when the erosion happens, there's a stability and a foundation that stops it. What do they look like? What do they look like? How do we actively stop the drift? Oh, and M, I don't know what's going on there. And enjoy union with Christ. How do we do it? Number one, it starts with repentance starts with repentance. We're going to give you an opportunity in a few minutes when we sing our final song. I'm going to call you to repentance. I'm going to call you to a place where you actually recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, Christian friend, where you actually say, well, I have been serving and I've been focusing and I've been looking to these other things. And you bring it to him and you ask for forgiveness. And the promise of the scripture, the promise of the cross is your past sins, present sins, future sins are covered by being in Jesus Christ. If you are not in Christ, not are you a Christian, but I'm going to use Paul's term, if you are not in Christ, then you have an opportunity through repentance to come to the cross and to, the Bible says, to confess with your mouth that He is Lord. And you too can be in Christ. That that separation I described is closed, that you can have union with Jesus and you can have a connection and relationship with God eternally given to you through his righteousness. So it starts with repentance. Meditate on the Bible. Remember what we're saying. These are the things that we structure into our lives. These disciplines that we need to make sure are in place so we don't drift, so the erosion doesn't happen, so we can stay focused on union with Christ. What's that look like? We need to meditate on the Bible. What do I mean by meditate? You see, Eastern meditation means emptying your mind. Christian meditation is filling your mind with Scripture, filling your mind with truth. And can I tell you, it's far more life-changing than any of the other stuff that is out there. It will change your life. Meditate. What does that look like? Maybe you get Galatians 2.20 and you learn it. You chew on it. You think about it. I remember when I used to work in retail, I used to have a bit of paper in my pocket. Every time I put my hand in my pocket, which was often, I'd pull it out and there'd be a scripture on it and I'd read it and memorize and put it back in. Just all day. I used to look at it all day. Get it into your mind. Meditate. Chew. Think about meditating on the scripture. And then so that happens is when you feel weak, you in that moment you have the strength to remind the enemy of who you are. When you feel lonely, you can, you can turn in and you can have that moment and remind yourself that he loves you and it is enough 
That when you're tempted through meditating on the scripture, your mind goes to, okay, this is really difficult, but I have his strength living in me. That I can, there is a better way. His way is better. When you are prone to loneliness and despair and anxiety, I'm not talking about clinical anxiety, chemical anxiety, but when you are so racked with worry that you can come back to the scriptures and remind yourself who it is that you are. We speak to ourselves constantly. Let's speak Bible to ourselves. Not as some spellbound kind of mantra. If you say this 17 times a day, then you're going to get your new car. That's nonsense, evil rubbish. This is meditating on the Word of God because He lives in you. Number three, persist in prayer. Oh, Glenn, it's so hard. Yes, it is. Pray. Pray like he's sat right in front of you. Pray like he has stood right next to you. Pray like he is listening to every word he is saying. Because he is. The scripture says he's around you, above you, below you, and in you. Speak to him like he's your friend and your brother. Go for a walk. Forgive me for saying it like this. Some of you may not resonate with this. But go for a walk with Jesus. What are you doing? Jesus and I taking the dog. Okay. Weirdo. Okay. Those are the sort of things that I say to, like in my family, I'll wait, where are you going? I'm just going upstairs because uh, Jesus is waiting for me. <laughs> what? Because in my mind, I'm like, he is God. I get to sit with him and speak with him. There's so much I could say about prayer. Worship together. Combined with, take time for community. These two, come, be part of who we are as a church. Be part of a group. Be part of some community life, volunteer at Living Nativity, get involved, get connected, get out there, lift up your eyes and see the encouragement and compassion and love that is in this room ready to stand with you strong because you put two people like this together, shoulder to shoulder, there's power in that. Prepare well for the difficult times because all those things, what we do is this, We get to the difficult times and wish that we'd done this. Right? We jump straight to six without one through to five. One through to five prepares you well for six. Prepare well. So as I finish, my simple questions. First of all, is is the big question is, do you have Jesus in you? Do you have Jesus in you? So I'm not talking to friends in the, in the like, church Christian family, those of you who have given your lives to Jesus. I'm talking to those who are wrestling, maybe skeptical, just never taken that step. Is Jesus in you? What is in you? What are you in? Because the promise is clear. And I'm going to give you opportunity in just a minute. I'm going to pray so that you can say, yeah, Jesus, be my life. And on the, on the Connect cards, we have a little box you can check and say, I want to talk to somebody about this. I, want to, I, I made a decision today. And we'd love to sit down and pray with you and talk to you about what that actually means. Have you trusted in Jesus as your life? Because if your heart doesn't, like, if you're not like, absolutely, then get that right. Get that right. And the promise is, is that today is the day of salvation. And there are other people in the room who just feel like they're caught in that drip of Christianity. It's just, oh, this is so hard. Feeling weighed down, struggling. 
press in to what Jesus has for you, in you, and what you are in him. Have somebody pray for you. We'll have people available at the end who would love to pray for you. South leadership team or community group leaders, please come at the front. And you can just, you can just come and have somebody pray for you, the life and strengthen you. And, and that would be a wonderful, wonderful start. Let's pray. those of you who aren't sure whether Jesus is in you, and you want to submit your life to him, you recognize that you have made other things Lord of your life, and you're just tired of chasing after those things, and you're in a cycle of of sin and shame. You just know that you are not living the life that you were created to be. And just pray, pray along with me now. Just in your mind and your heart. Dear Lord, I, I know that I have sinned against you, that I know that I have put other things as Lord of my life. I know that I am distanced from you. And I recognize that, that God, you love me. That you sent your son, Jesus, to live a life that I can't live. And to die a death that I actually deserve. So God, I pray now in Jesus' name that you would forgive me that you would be Lord of my life and you would live in me and I in you. Please forgive me and fill me with your life. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed that, I want to encourage you the end of the meeting is come and, and see somebody who will be stood at the front and say I prayed that prayer and would you pray with me and they will help you point you towards somebody who can help you Lord Jesus I, I pray now as I stand with my brothers and sisters in Christ and I echo the prayer of Paul that, Lord, that you would open our eyes, enlighten us to the hope that you have called us to, to the power that is inside us, to the promise that we live in. And, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that there would be life, and life more abundantly, even now just breaking in people's lives as I pray. Thank you, Jesus, that your promise is that you live in us and we in you. And, Lord, I pray that on a day-to-day basis, He would continue to change and grow. Lord, I pray you would help me in my drift. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing together now. And, uh, and this is an opportunity just to worship together, to focus our attention. And the words are so perfect for what I've just seen. Lord, let you be king of my heart. Be the king of my heart. That's everything that I've just been talking about. He is king of our heart. You know, our Christmas Advent series is called King. He is King Jesus. King Jesus. And I just love that strength. He is king and he's king in my heart. Amen? Let's stand together. Let's sing together.